Good morning. Morning, Josh Dewey is very loud there. Morning, Josh. Um, welcome to Father's Day. I am Katie, and we just want you to imagine right now that you are sat in some kind of weird lounge having a chat. We kind of discussed what should we do at Father's Day, and we felt sometimes you can get so much out of just having a chat with godly people. And so we're just going to have a chat. We're going to hear from... Oh, let me introduce these guys, actually, first. So this is Andy. Andy was drumming this morning. Andy's in our band. He's also got two kids. Soaking wet. Why are you wet? Oh, he's sweating. Oh, <laughs> gross. <laughs> I'll just, like, edge this way a little bit. Um, Andy is incredible. His uh, son this morning was at Addenbrooke's because he got some washing detergent in his eye, yet he's still at all three services, speaking and drumming. So that's Andy. Oh, he's all good. Andrew here is our exec pastor at C3. He has got two grown-up kids and two grandkids now. He is incredible at just sitting down and meeting with people, chatting to people. Um, he's got loads of wisdom, which we will hear about in a minute. Everyone knows Steve. Steve has got three kids. Oh, sorry, round of applause for Andrew. Uh, Steve always says people really matter. We've all heard him say it, but he really lives that out. So I'm really excited to hear what he has to say on the panel. Give it up for Steve. <laughs> Next to Steve is Mark. Mark has been coming to C3 for two years, just under two years. And he's got so involved, which I just love. He's a kids' church leader. He pours into not only his own uh, son's life, William, but also the kids of our church. So give it up for Mark. And lastly, we have got Wesley. Youth, give a cheer. Wesley's a youth leader. <laughs> He's got his fan club down there. He's a youth leader. He hasn't got any kids uh, biologically, but he does father kids. I asked Wesley a while back, why do you get involved in youth? And he literally said to me, do you know, there's a generation of fatherless kids that need fathering. And so that's amazing. And I would just encourage all of us to really lean in. This isn't a panel just for dads. This is a panel for all of us. We're going to just be chatting through life questions. So whether you're a parent, not a parent, I'm believing that God is going to use these guys to speak to each and every one of us. So let's start off with, can you each tell us the hardest thing about being a dad or a father figure? Let's go to you first, Andy. Hardest thing. Um, so for me, so we're all kind of working on our lives, character and stuff. Um, so the thing for me is probably keeping in check those character aspects that perhaps aren't as godly as they should be um, and just making sure the kids don't pick up on that because I want them to be kind of rounded in um, their outlook, how they view people, how they view situations, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's just being kind of mindful of where my own failings are and making sure that doesn't rub off on them, I think. Uh, for me, the hardest thing um, is really finding enough time. Um, I always feel guilty about not sort of, you know, putting enough time into, into my children. And um, so for me, just kind of that work, family, leisure, balance, um, I've never really quite cracked that, to be honest. Um, so that's the hardest thing for me. Um, and actually being available when they are available and willing, rather than expect them to be available when I'm available. Uh, that's the hardest thing for me. I think for me, uh, the hardest thing has been 
dealing with the intense love that you feel in your heart towards them and how to express that. Uh, because you don't want them to go through anything negative, really, or be hurt in any way, but you know that's not life. And so it's dealing, for me, the hardest thing's been dealing with that emotion of, I love them so much, how do I express that appropriately so as that you still raise them as whole human beings? Uh, so I think for me it's about um, sort of enforcing and, and maintaining a boundary uh, with, with children. So, you know, I, I want the best for William and, and I want him to be happy, um, but also I need to teach him as well. And so that comes sometimes at a cost of, you know, making him see a consequence for his mistake. But sometimes as a parent that's quite hard to sit back and, and try to watch. Um, and, and I find that, that very hard to do sometimes, but I think it's important for, um, for them to be able to learn. Yeah, I think for me it's just echoing on what they said earlier, um, <clears throat> is sometimes you don't want those characteristics just to filter over into, into their lives. And so always being mindful of what we're putting out there, how we're living our lives. And, and so just checking myself all the time. And I think that's going back to, I think that's quite difficult, but so important as well. We saw on the news before those dad fail moments. Have any of you got a funny story of a, a dad fail moment? Not a too heavy one, just a funny. Go on, Mark. Um, so when William was quite a bit younger, um, we took him off to a, uh, see some family and there wasn't enough beds to go around. and. Um, he was still quite small, so we took the, the biggest suitcase that we could find and sort of made him a little bit of a crib in there. And he, he looked so cute, and uh, you know, he took a picture, as uh, probably show him one day. But, so we tucked him in, he went to sleep, we turned all the lights off, and um, sort of in the night I heard this kind of muffled crying sound, and somehow he'd managed to wake up and pull the lid of the suitcase over the top of him. Bless him, I felt so bad. <laughs> but he was okay. <laughs> That's great. Um, Andrew, you touched on balancing stuff, balancing everything and making time. How do you, if you do, manage to balance uh, work, church, serving, kids, marriage? How do you do that? Um, very poorly, I think. Uh, I think that uh, for me... Uh, I used to sort of, um, I used to just pour everything into, into church, um, and uh, that's what I was sort of brought up with, really. You know, you got saved, you, got, you just poured everything into church, and, and even though we were taught it was, you know, um, God first, and then your family, and then church, the reality for me, when I grew up in church, it was church first, then God, and last of all, kids. And, um, and so, I, I kind of lived in that world for quite some time um, and I think much the detriment I think at times to, to my wife and my family and to my children. Um, I think sort of recently though I have been kind of beginning to sort of look at that as an issue and um, I'm not very good on boundaries you know day by day boundaries but I, I am thinking now in terms of seasons there are seasons in my life now where I will pour lots of times into um, 
my family and my wife or, you know, or, or whatever, you know, leisure. But there are other times when I actually pour a lot of time into uh, church. Um, I, think, I think more in seasons rather than strict boundaries because I, I do believe that sometimes when God speaks to us and we've got too strict of boundaries, then what happens is that we can miss what God wants us to do. Um, and so rather than actually kind of have a rigid um, divide between family, church, leisure, marriage, I, I tend to have much more of a kind of seasonal outlook. And um, sometimes one season drifts into another, but that's where my wife comes in and she says, you know, enough's enough now. You know, you need to, do, you need to sort of sort yourself out and get back to a more kind of boundary life. But generally, um, I tend to go with the kind of seasonal flow rather than a kind of hard boundary day. Has anyone got any practical uh, advice on that? So anything you do, um, maybe Andy, you could speak into it from a, having young kids. How do you manage it? It's an interesting one, actually, because um, Lisa and I were married quite a long time before we had kids. Um, we've actually been married 22 years just wow. this month. Um, I know. Amazing, hey? Um, <laughs> But getting, getting the balance, I think because we had kind of that freedom before we had kids, it's, we do miss it because you pour so much into the kids. Um, but actually getting the balance, um, I'm, I'm like you, I'm really poor at it. Um, I think work, church, kind of with the kids, that's kind of imbalanced. But our actual time we get spent with each other is, is not as balanced. So it's something we've got to work on. I, I, can't, I didn't really answer your question, but I'm not sure sort of how we do that, really. Good wife. <laughs> um, how, maybe you guys down the end, how do you find time to rest in God amongst all the stuff? Mark, have you got something you could speak into? Uh, yeah, I can um, say something. Um, <laughs> I think that um, for me, um, kind of finding a time when things are sort of less hectic in my schedule and I can sort of really clear my head and, and, and focus is really good. And for me, the best time to do that is when I'm cycling into work. Um, interestingly as well, I, I find a, a really good time to uh, spend with God is, is being around other people at church as well. Um, you know, I'm... Um, I can get quite shy sometimes talking to um, other people and also talking with God. And, and I find that the more time I spend around other Christians, the more that confidence sort of builds up. And, it's, uh, and so that's really helpful. If I might just mention one thing which I've been trying to work on for the last 15 years, um, is to eliminate as much as I can hurry in my life. Because hurry is the thing that robs me most of a sense of rest. So if I'm always hurrying, so I, and that can be very practical. That could be giving myself 15 minutes longer to get somewhere than I actually think it's going to take. Because I've just eliminated hurry rather than just running in. Because that robs me of my peace for me. Um, so anything I can do. Cycling has helped me to eliminate hurry because you can't get somewhere as fast. No matter how fast you go, I know Andy's fast on his bike, but it's just going to take... So cycling, for me, was a really good discipline, especially around this city, that just... And, and I know if I'm going to come here, I need 
15 minutes to get a shower. The shower works now, by the way, in the, in the room. So that, that's just, just eliminated hurry a little bit. And anything for me that makes me rush more robs me of my rest. So I, the other thing I'd say is I try to do this. I try, and I'm being, I'm being serious when I say this, I'm trying to do less. I'm trying to do less better. And I think all of us, I'm not gifted in every area. <laughs> I'm just not. And in the past, I just tried to do too much, robbed other people of, of what they had by way of introducing their gift. And I've realized less is actually more because I'm more effective and more fruitful if I'll do the right things rather than trying to do everything. That's gold. That's brilliant. Um, so, Wesley, you're not a biological dad. Mark is not a biological dad, although has adopted a son at six months old. So... You are a dad, whereas Wesley, you're more of a kind of role model. How would you encourage anyone here who wants to pour into the next generation? How would they do that? Um, yeah, uh, I think we can get involved in youth and serving at kids' ministry. <laughs> That's my, yeah, <laughs> but more practical. And I appreciate that a lot of people's got time constraints. Um, I think it's just recognizing where you are in, where, in, in, your, in your life or your sphere of influence who are you fathering or who are the people that are you a role model to? And I think that's, that, that, that's taking a step back and sort of realizing, hey, you know, the kids or young people that are looking up to me in my leadership position. And so I think when we go in with that reference point of who our God the Father is, um, we can sort of relate and sort of be that to the people sort of that you are leading or, or influencing in your sphere. So I think that translating your revelation of God to the people in your community, in your teams, in the C3 tech team, like there's always space for you to be a father, always space for you to be a leader in that, in that sphere. So that's sort of something that I... I, I think that uh, another thing kind of looking back at, in my life as well is that I feel like I've benefited from uh, a lot of father figures as well in my adult life as well as in my... As when, also when I was a child, um, and so I, I just kind of want to put out there that it's important to have these these father figures going forward into adulthood as well. Can I just mention something about that? Because the question Casey hasn't asked us, but she said she might ask us, was about a memory from childhood, and I didn't know whether she meant good or bad, but the immediate memory that came back to me was when my dad returned from psychiatric hospital having had ECT, electric shock therapy. And when my dad came home, he'd lost his memory. And it was so frightening. As a 12-year-old watching this, it just terrified me. And that's a memory that I've got. But I'll tell you what happened. There was a man called John Piper, uh, Harold Piper, rather, got involved in our life as a family. He wasn't my natural dad, but he was what you just said about a role model. And he changed my life. When my dad naturally, because of his condition, couldn't input into me, Harold Piper did. Taught me how to play table tennis, which is one of the best things I've ever learned in my life. <laughs> but he, was just the, he just came alongside. Angie talks about um, when a child comes to church, they almost need five other adults who are, are that to that child, and that will keep them in church. One of the ways that will keep them in church. So, yeah, spot on. Have you got any advice, actually, on how you guys, maybe Andrew and Steve, your kids are both in church, serving God, 
how have you done that? How have you enabled them to stay in church? How have you, um, yeah, shown church the positive thing in their lives? Um, I, I believe that uh, that's the main role of a parent. Because I do believe that the church is the hope of the world. I believe that's what God's best is for us, is to kind of link our children to a, a good church. And so the first thing I would say is that get a good church. You know, why take kids to a church with no kids' work or poor kids' work? Um, we were really blessed in my last church um, in that we had a great children's work. And, uh, but I would have been prepared to move church in order to get my kids saved, discipled, and going on with God. I think the other thing I would say is that, you know, um, don't diss the church. I mean, if you're going to speak negatively about the church and criticize what's going on, criticize the leader, um, you're playing right into your children's hands when they decide whether or not they should go to church. Um, I know so many families that complain about the children not going to church, but they're complaining about the church. We should big the church up. And um, I think the other thing is to really live your life with credibility before your kids so that sort of they know that you're not a phony. That doesn't mean to be perfect or anything like that, but I think we do need to live a real life warts and all and um, we, we involved our kids in, in, in everything that we did at church they weren't an appendage and we just brought them along we tried to get we, get, we tried to get them connected into church and um, there were times when um, Rhiannon she was fine she loved church she would go to church all the time she was great but my son our son Richard um, was a different kettle of fish he had really strong peer group connections and um, when he went to secondary school, he was just about to kind of give in or give up on church, really. So we thought, how can we connect him? And we just bought him a guitar. He played music. He loved music. And uh, he started to sort of get really reconnected into the worship group. And be, at the age of 12 or 13, I think it was, he was part of a, 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 um, a worship group that actually led some of our church plants out. Um, so for me, it's, it's all about making sure that kids are connected. Um, you know, I, w I would have done anything to make my kids sort of settle in church. You know, can I just say something, parents? Never threaten your kid, you know, if they're misbehaving without, without not going to, say, um, the youth group. You know, I mean, the number of parents I know that said, you know, you've been so naughty this week, you're not going to youth group. Well, that's a crazy idea, isn't it? So the very place where God can really speak to them and change them, you know, parents cut them off. I mean, that, that's, I think that doesn't make any sense. It's not biblical and it doesn't make any sense. And um, so those are some of the things that I would actually say. And make your house a place where people can invite their friend and make it a sense of churchy community. Our house was buzzing all the time. My wife's a great cook, so we had food I mean, all the time. And people always seemed to kind of come when my wife was cooking. Uh, but it was a safe place for people to come. So those are the ways that we felt that we could connect um, our children and keep them in church. I think Andrew said it brilliantly, but I, I, I would say this, one thing we did, just very practically, is when they were children, we didn't allow them to hear anything negative about the church, and there was an awful lot of negative to say. Um, and we did talk about things that were going on to each other, but my wife and she used to have a little phrase about the kids that they had flappy ears, so we used to drop our voices if we and go somewhere else, and they would be leaning in to try and hear well, we'd stop talking about it then if there was anything negative we never exposed them to any of the negativity of stuff that was going on until they became adults and then we discussed things with them 
Uh, the other thing I was, I'd say is to, to parents, similar to what Andrew said, um, as a church, and any, any church you might be involved in, most churches put on things for youth and children and involve them. Get them there as much as you can. I know, we know us like, and many of you, you had a busy week, Friday night, you think, oh, we'd rather stay at home. It's about you taking them until they're at such an age where they can drive. Just make the effort. You, you make it for other things. Just, and, and they're in school every single day. And then we think four hours a week, you know, two hours of youth on Friday and maybe on a Sunday morning is enough. That's not much compared to all the hours in a week. So if you miss too many as well, I don't want this from a guilt perspective. I don't want anyone to come to church from guilt. My dad made me feel guilty all the time about missing church. I, I went on a fishing competition one Sunday when I was about 16, and I won the competition. And when I got home and told my dad, I remember my dad saying, ah, oh, the devil prospers his own. <laughs> it, it, that's how guilty he made me feel uh, of going fishing on a Sunday. So I've tried to avoid guilt, tried to make it always positive. So when the children were young in the car, um, I used to sing a song about the excitement of going to church and how exciting and fulfilling it was. Uh, in the first service, they got me to sing it, so I better sing it now, hadn't I? I wasn't planning on doing it. But it, it was just really simple. It was, we're going to the church, church, church. Do you want to come to, to, to? We're going to the church, church, church. How about you, you, you? Do you want to come to? And we used to sing that on the way. So it was a positive positive thing that we're going to and the other thing is take them on the journey so if you're serving get them serving with you um if, if you're you're doing something just have them alongside they just want to be with you they do not have to be at disneyland to be enjoying your company just have them i would say this especially a boys maybe but it's true for all 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 our children just serving with us just coming they counted it as a privilege and when people have said to our kids, can I just say this to you? Because our kids were the pastor's kids. Oh, it must be really tough being pastor's kid. Our kids have never understood that. And when people have prayed over them, we pray for anything, you be yourself. They've been free to be themselves as pastor's kids because we've told them what a privilege it is. Even when it was tough, you've got a privilege, you're the pastor's kids. And so we've made it, we've picked it up, not made it negative. Wesley, as a youth leader, could you speak into how we can stay relevant to our kids? Yeah, it's I, a big one. <laughs> um, I was saying earlier, um, yeah, so, I mean, coming here to the UK, I've sort of had to expose myself to a new group of youth kids. Um, and the first time that I was out there, one of the kids was like, oh, Wesley, you got a dab. And a dab is like a dance move. Um, but Come on, show I us didn't a dab. <laughs> no. On your feet. Show okay. us a dab. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm probably not. I don't, I'm not cool enough to do that. But, <laughs> but it was quite cool. Um, and, and it just made me think about how do I become relevant and relatable to these kids. Um, and so I had to go back and sort of equip myself with... Um, by listening to podcasts, getting people around me that knew trends about like what is what what are the social constructs around teenagers today? What are what are the circumstances? What are the situations that they're facing? Um, and so that was something that I had to go equip myself with, so that I could build relationship with them and and meeting them where they're at, so that they could journey with me through. Um, going through the next stage of life, but it was meeting them at where they're at, so be, 
equipping myself to so go down and sort of say, hey, you know, I want to bring you along on this journey with me. Um, Steve also said earlier, it's, it's also very good to, um, the Bible sort of still keeps us relevant. And so reading the Bible, getting, getting wisdom from it is, is, is fundamental as well in that. And there's so much out there. So we spoke last service about Snapchat, Instagram, uh, screens, porn. How have you, any of you dealt with that at home? How have you kind of allowed your kids to experience stuff but not totally be overwhelmed by it? Um, so, uh, William absolutely loves his computer and uh, loves to spend time going on the internet and particularly playing games. But, um, you know, I, I remember when the internet first came to our house when I was younger and um, people weren't as aware of, of the dangers, I guess, of, of the internet. And I remember being put in front of all kinds of things that I, I definitely shouldn't have been. So I'm also quite conscious of, of what he sees as well. Um, so we talk quite a bit about the dangers of the internet because I think that as well as putting boundaries in place of, of what they can and can't do, um, they also need to understand the, the dangers of why. Um, and so we spend quite a bit of time talking about that at home. Uh, we were sorting out some rooms at home is today or a room we found thousands of photographs and old diaries and in one of our the diaries that Angie had written um, she talked about Josh our, our eldest child our only boy coming home from school and and how it affected him in this diary watching too much television now, I know this is television but apply it all screens and how is she's written how his mood changed and so she wrote I put a limit on him when he comes home, of how long he can watch, and even what he, what he can watch, which was uh, Blue Peter and Spring Watch or something. Um, and she said, he's had a tantrum, but I think it's a necessary battle, I've got to fi fight. And I would just say, there are battles you have to fight. Um, so you do have to put those limits on, on how much screen time there are. It's, it's harder now with phones, because accessibility of phone, but you just have to put it. What we did, was we didn't allow any computer or TV in the rooms, bedrooms. It was only in the lounge or in the uh, designated areas where we had them. And the other thing that we've tried to do, though we can't keep up, is not be frightened of it. I'm, I'm by no means a social media expert. But be their friend, even though they don't want you to be. Be their friend on Facebook or on Instagram, follow us. So as you're seeing what they're putting up and they're seeing what you're putting up if you put anything, or even if you don't, you're aware of what they are seeing and watching as well. Um, I think that's important. Um, probably have to be the last question, but uh, I've asked Andrew's permission to share this. Andrew lost a child at eight months old. Um, and I just want to ask you, Andrew, how have you kept going through that? Okay. Well, I hope I don't lose it like I did in the previous service. Um, yeah, I, we had a, a child. Uh, his name was Thomas, and uh, we... We lost him in a cot death when he was uh, eight months old. And um, it was the most devastating experience of my life. Um, myself and my wife, we, we really felt as if our whole world had actually sort of come to an end. And the thing about cot death in particular is that at the time as well, there was a bit of a stigma associated with it. 
Um, you know, if someone had, had sort of killed someone with a gun, people would have accepted that. But some of the court deaths in those days had a stigma attached to it. And, and to be honest, the church at the time didn't handle it very well at all. And, and um, quite a few folk that were close friends to us just moved away from us, really. If they saw us walking down the street, they'd walk on the other side, you know. And uh, that really hurt us because even though, in retrospect, we actually saw it in terms of them being awkward and embarrassed and not knowing how to deal with it, at the time, we thought that they might be blaming us. And so it was a real kind of double whammy for us, and it, we felt quite isolated and quite lonely uh, in the process. And... Um, for, for us, it was a really, really difficult, really difficult time. I mean, if they had just come up and said, you know, Andrew, we're just praying for you, or Andrew, we, we understand where you are, uh, or Andrew, you know, there's, there's a meal, but they didn't, you know, they just walked on the other side, and that was a really painful time for us. But, you know, God is faithful, and he does bring us through. Um, we had a really close friend who who gave me the best bit of advice spiritually that I've ever had in my life. And it's a very simple advice. She simply said this. She simply said, Andrew, Amanda, keep going through the routine. Keep the routine. Keep the, 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 you know, what you do normally. So go to church. Go to your small group. Pray. Read your Bible. Do the things that, you know, you normally do. And you know what? I wish I could say I prayed with power through this period, but it wasn't. It was just awful. But I did keep the routine. Amanda kept the routine. Um, and eventually God's faithfulness just came through. There was a couple of incidents, though, that really kind of made it for us in terms of it kind of really was a healing moment. There was one time when uh, the health visitor came, and she wasn't a Christian, but um, she knew a vicar who had a house in Shropshire. And um, we couldn't afford, actually, we couldn't even afford the funeral at the time. let alone going on a holiday. But we needed to, we needed to get away from the house where, the, where, the, uh, where, where Thomas died. We just needed to. And we actually sort of uh, went on this holiday. And it was a fantastic break for us. We were really sort of uh, able to talk things out. We had a sense of peace and comfort, even though we, we knew it was a horrendous time. And um, the wonderful thing is now, for the last 23 years or more now, we've actually gone back to the same area on holiday. Not because we're morbid or want to get back there, but it was just a place of comfort and release for us. And so when we go there now, we're totally at peace. As soon as we get into Shropshire, I don't know why, something to do with God, I think, you know, we, we, we're totally relaxed. And uh, it, was, it was, you know, it was, a, it was an amazing experience that just one act of random kindness made so much difference. And, um, you know, at the time, the church that we were involved with was, were absolutely useless at actually dealing with these kind of situations. I praise God for, for C3. I think something similar happened in C3. We got people like Ruth McCallan, who's, who's a, is a trained grief counselor. She could really sort of help people through this. But we had none of that at all. 90% of marriages fail after a cot death because one partner blames the other. And we were determined when we went through this that we would go through it together. And, um, but it was tough. At times, Amanda was so, so down because Amanda was the one that found Thomas. Um, I had to say to Amanda at times, 
Listen, you've got you to live for me. And I know daughter, I know. And it was a tough, tough time. But, you know, through the process, God just brought us through. And it was no magic bullet. And even now, you know, even though it doesn't dominate my day, day-to-day thinking, you know, it can come back. It's still, it's still real to me. And um, I, 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 I would just say, you know, in it all, God is there. And there are two other things, and I'll really close down then, um, that really kind of helped us. First of all, we are now in a position to help others who have gone through that process. Amanda was working in the day nursery at the time. She was managing our day nursery at the time. And um, there were so many people in, in similar circumstances. You know, had a stillborn child or we had a, 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 you know, a, a caught death. And they wanted people to listen to, but no one would listen to them. And so we, 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 drew, we drew great strength from that. But also, how is this for, for God's goodness and God's sovereignty? Um, at Thomas's funeral, one of our best friends, Steve Horn, actually got saved. And I thought, praise God. So, you know, he does work everything out for good. When you're going through it, it often doesn't seem that way. But when you get to the end, you look back and you think, you know, out of an awful situation, God has made things good. Incredible. Thank you, Andrew, for sharing that.